Welcome to Cancel Culture, the business of law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Okay, welcome back to Council Culture. Um, this week I'm uh, joined by Ben Gerlostone, who's a, a director at Byfield. Um, and this episode is going to be a bit of a uh, special one because we're releasing it on Halloween. Um, and we're going to talk about what has been keeping up managing partners um, at night and what's been keeping them anxious lately. Uh, we thought it was kind of timely. What do you think, Ben? Well, there's certainly a few things which have, from our research, which have spooked managing partners um, over, over, over the last few months. Uh, I think it's really interesting, actually. We picked out, um, I think hopefully people will have seen our, our research, which we launched a, a couple of weeks ago. But we, we, we picked out um, five key issues from a kind of long list of, of 10, which managing partners highlighted as their... Um, things that were really keeping them up at night. Yeah. And I think what's really, really interesting is there's just clearly a huge amount of issues going on at the moment and almost what's not in the list was as interesting as, as, as what is. And we'll get on to what is um, shortly, I, I know. But one of the things that struck me, and I wrote a blog on it yesterday, was this whole issue around succession. Yeah. Um, you know, well-managed, well-run law firms take succession of, of, of senior management, practice heads, the board, etc., very, very seriously, and um, a lot of planning goes on. And the, the stark contrast with what we've seen this week um, and the previous couple of weeks with the uh, the Tory party um, and the whole uh, sort of handover from Boris to to Liz Truss to, to to Rishi, I think it's a stark contrast to what tends to go on in law firms where succession is handled uh, in quite an orderly way. Um, in 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 my experience, uh, but I thought it was reasonably interesting that that issue around succession wasn't in the in the top five yeah i agree um but i think historically law firms just have been handling it much better than than other sectors to be honest um including politics but um yeah no i agree but what was surprising i mean i mean unsurprisingly the top main concern was the war for talent and retaining talent as well um, 95% of respondents said that it was their biggest concern, business concern, and also reputational concern as well. Um, I mean, it's not really surprising, but um, I think you were in New York uh, a few months ago. I mean, what did you hear from partners there? Yeah, it's, it was it was really interesting. So, um, I, as you said, I did a, a trip to New York right at the end of April into May. Uh, and I saw a, a number of, of firms, um, a mix of senior partners, um, heads, of, heads of BD, and the war for talent, if anything, is even more intense there mm. than it is here, and it's sure pretty, pretty intense here, and it has been for, for, for some time. Uh, some of the stories that I was told about what candidates were both asking for, um, switching to other firms at the last minute. I mean, it is ruthlessly competitive for, 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 for associates out there in terms of firms trying to uh, attract the, the, the best, both actually directly as, 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 as trainees, yeah. uh, but beyond that as you know, all levels of associate as well. So um, if it's any comfort to, to, to our listeners in the, in the UK, this issue is not confined just to, just to these shores. Yeah, but I think um, at the moment, especially with the sterling being so down, I think there's a major concern for a lot of UK firms in terms of competing with the, their US counterparts here, but also with the rest of the market, really. Well, I think more the point, if you're if you are a UK firm or a UK headquartered firm trying to 
grow a business in the in the US, yeah. um, as you know, a couple of the Magic Circle ones are, and, and many others. I mean, you're getting hammered on 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 salaries sure. anyway, uh, but exacerbated by the fact that your your pound is is really not going as far uh, as you know as it did a, a, f- a few months ago. Uh, and it's quite interesting actually looking at the way that US headquarter firms pay here. Mm. It's a bit of a nerdy point, but having a look at some of those currency uh, pegs and how firms pay, um, I think Ron on Friday have done it and, and others. It's actually quite quite interesting how they, they, they approach it. Each is, each is very different. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any other um, uh, issues that you've seen on the list? I mean, obviously, a major concern was recession fears and anything around controlling costs and um, client fees. Uh, any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I think that was really, really exacerbated by COVID, wasn't it? When COVID first hit, um, you and I were obviously in, in, in different jobs then, but we did speak to each other fairly regularly. Yeah. Um, I mean, the world basically um, changed overnight, didn't it? We were all suddenly working from home. Nobody really knew how badly the economy was going to be a hit. It ended up being hit pretty badly, but very briefly, and then, and then bounced back. But, you know, during that time, some of the optics of, you know, salaries, bonuses, of course, the furlough scheme and, and all related things were, 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 were really, really in the eye of the storm, I thought. Um, and um, how things looked to clients. Uh, was was super important in terms of how fees were charged and mm-hmm. you know projects were managed and all that type of thing. And I think a lot of that has survived. Um, I was working with um, a firm who moved offices uh, uh, not not so long ago, and one of the things that we really had to work through quite carefully uh, was that that they didn't want the the you know the cost of the office move to 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 look as if it had been passed on to clients in any way. It actually wasn't. Um, it was very, very well managed. But that was a really, really good case in point of the, 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 the optics point that I was, I, w- I was making. You know, firms, I think, are really, really aware now, and this is a bit of a hangover from those, those COVID days, that anything that they do as a business, um, from charging to, you know, charging clients to moving offices to paying bonuses or whatever it might be, has to be seen in the, through the lens of how value is delivered to, 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 to clients how clients will perceive those things yeah and, and I think you were mentioning earlier as well that was you know off air you were saying how maybe firms currently have more leeway to prepare for a potential recession um, compared to the 2008 crisis and COVID right so in our report um, it won't surprise anyone to, to know that you know economic worries um, are, are, are very very high up, up the list but in, in essence, that's a little bit of a, a blessing because if you think back to the uh, financial crisis of 2008 and uh, and then also the, 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 the COVID recession, which I sort of would argue was a bit of an artificial one given how quickly things um, bounced back, nobody saw either of those things coming or very few people did. Yeah. Um, I remember being in my, um, my, my previous place of work where I was part of the business continuity team who had to be you know, prepared for any kind of major disasters or, or anything else. And yeah. um, I'd been briefed about COVID sort of before it had become sort of massive news. And it really didn't feel like a big deal one week and then suddenly it was all all encompassing. Mm. It was extraordinary. So nobody saw these things coming really. 
but we are now. Um, and I think what's interesting about the, the, the report is we obviously did the research over the summer and, and people were worried about you know an economic downturn mm-hmm. over, the, over the medium over the medium term. But in essence, the fact that they're worried about it means that they can prepare. And that absolutely wasn't the case in the previous two downturns. Yes, interesting. I mean, um, I remember at my previous place of work, we had uh, this piece going on about the firms not um, taking cash into the bank to prepare for any any issues that might arise at any point. And uh, a lot of firms have since kind of ramped up on these things um, and, and put more money in the bank just in case. And I think that might be the smart move here um, because we don't know what's happening next. I mean, we're going to have the next budget in mid-November. Yeah. Uh, what is that going to look like? We don't know. <laughs> what? How are the markets going to react? We don't know. Um, well, there's a, a funny kind of um, addendum for that, that when we were finishing this report, uh, Liz Truss uh, was giving uh, uh, the, uh, well, her and, and, and Kwasi Kwarteng were preparing their mini budget, as they yeah. called it, which obviously felt like Armageddon at the time. And uh, we were literally just finishing the report and we made sure that we checked quite a few points that people had made with those people just yeah. to see if they still felt they were valid and thankfully they did, <laughs> which kind of shows that these concerns are for the long term. But the point I think is important that we it's so, everything feels so fluid at the moment. You don't really know where you are from one day to the to the next. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every week we have a new government, so <laughs> uh, it gets a bit difficult to plan for anything, but... Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know about you, in the report as well, we had some concerns around cyber cybersecurity threats. Um, that wasn't high, as high up in the list as I thought it would be, especially considering during COVID, I remember talking to uh, a few uh, cybersecurity professionals who were telling me at the time how they were working for law firms that were extremely concerned about, you know, what people were doing working from home with their work stuff. Um, and how they were seeing a massive rise in cybersecurity threats. And I'm surprised we've not seen any firms being attacked or anything like that um, so far. I mean, it might be a bit cynical and and negative, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think firms are attacked all the time. Yeah. Uh, That's key. The, the, but you're not getting as many as those massive headline things like the DLA Piper hack of whenever it was four or five years ago, which was huge news yeah firms uh, uh, suffer from phishing attacks uh, from all sorts of cyber um, hits all the time uh, and anyone that's responsible in any way for uh, cyber within law firms um, has their work cut out it is a full-time job and just because you're not reading about firms being hacked in the paper and the legal press every day it doesn't mean yeah. that there are not multiple attacks all the time on, yeah. on, on, on firms uh, I, I think uh, cyber people in law firms just reflects the fact they're doing a really, really good job. Mm, for sure. I, and I feel like um, a lot of, it's, it's just so easy for a lot of lawyers as well or partners of a certain generation, and I don't want to discriminate, but to not really see a phishing email for what it is. Uh, it's so easy. I mean, they're so well done. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it must happen a lot, but we just don't hear about it. You're right. Um, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting one. Um, in the report as well, there were things around um, ESG and DNI concerns around that. Uh, they didn't do as well as I thought they would. They would do um, reputationally. They did well, but not in terms of business concerns. Um, I mean, the cynic in me wants to say that it's not really surprising because I feel like a lot of companies overall want to look better than they actually deliver. 
Uh, but I think you might be of a different opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I respectfully disagree with you, Meg, actually, yeah. <laughs> on that, particularly in, in terms of the, 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 the legal sector. In, you know, in, in, in my experience of working with a number of firms, management really care about this stuff. Mm. They, 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 they genuinely do. They really want to be inclusive places. They really want to you know, open up their firms to a kind of broader cross-section of, of society. They want to have net zero targets and, and, and hit them. They, they, they genuinely care. And I don't think it's just a case of, you know, oh my goodness, you know, youngsters of 21, 22 coming through now are demanding that we do this stuff. So slightly reluctantly, we better. And clients are asking us to detail our environmental policies in pitches. So, you know, really annoyingly and reluctantly, we have to get this stuff right. I think they really care. Mm. Certainly the firms that are, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to, to, to work with do. Uh, so I would, uh, I actually don't feel as cynical as you do mm. um, about this. I think there's a genuine, genuine desire in, in, in the profession to do good. I, I, think, I think a lot of that is brought by the GCs, to be honest, uh, to, for, to get firms to do better in those areas of, of the business. But I feel like maybe the incoming generation of lawyers, you know, might care more about the environment than older generations. And, and I think we were talking about that this morning, actually, about, you know, how they could themselves hold their own companies to account and their own law firms to account. That's just really interesting. Uh, I wonder if we're going to see more things around that later on. Um, well, what's certainly true is you, you, you've touched on it is, you know, when firms are going for work or to be picked on a, a big banking panel, by mm. way of example, the credentials that one has to show, including the people that actually turn up for the pitch, making sure that they're not just, you know, for middle-aged white blokes yeah. is, 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 is really, really key. But just in, you know, in my, my experience that firms are trying to get these things right because they genuinely want to, not just because there's a commercial imperative to both from clients and from people that, 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 that want to work there. I kind of think, you know, the whole kind of greenwashing thing that people would see through that a little yeah. bit. You know, if you're, if you're not walking it like you're talking it, that will become pretty clear pretty, pretty quickly. I mean, firms are you know this but firms are so accountable now mm. you know the legal prof the, the legal press is is in real time blogs yeah. social media etc you can't you can't hide so yeah. for sure but i wonder you know like the fca is you know cracking down on greenwashing for for the financial services uh companies but i'm not sure if the sra is really doing much on that um and and it's nice that the legal press is trying to hold companies to account when, when they need to be, but I, I wonder what the regulator would actually be doing if, if they're looking at all at their own kind of regulations around that and if they're going to crack down on firms for that too later on. I think that's something to look out for. Yeah, they'd definitely be looking at what the FS, uh, FCA is is doing. But don't forget, um, law firms, although there's a lot of them, are relatively small beasts compared to massive yeah. financial institutions. Yeah. You, you know, you kind of forget that because there's so many significant players in our, our sector but in real terms they're not that big yeah. businesses I mean even the, you know even the biggest firms compared to you know an HSBC or a Lloyd's or what have you are absolutely tiny in, in comparison mm -hmm. so it's very these are very very different and probably e more easily manageable organizations you know that's interesting yeah um, last one I think um, half of the respondents on, on that report we put out uh, were concerned about 
cultural slash conduct issues with within firms. Uh, I thought that was interesting because I would have thought more people would would be more concerned. Um, but also, I'm, 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 I just don't know what what their own anxieties around that are, um, it, whether it's managing them or um, I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I do. I have a, I, I, I have a few. I think that I think everybody knows that the SRA has a big backlog of cases, yeah. complaints, etc. That it's looking through, and you don't necessarily know what they they all are. Um, I think it's more a case of historic skeletons as much as anything yeah. else. And you know, over the past five years with 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 Me Too, etc. That that you know the accepted. Uh, behaviors within law firms and you know corporate life has you know changed obviously for the better but mm-hmm. really really dramatically in terms of what's acceptable and and what's not and you've got the you've got this lens now of 2022 looking at historic things that may have have, have gone on mm-hmm. uh, I, I, and you know I think it's relative we you know you say that you're surprised that some of these things are not higher up less but they're really important still. Of course Firm, they are, yeah. Firms have said that they are really, really important. And I think the whole behaviour point is absolutely key because, you know, don't forget, uh, most law firms have changed leadership during the time that Me Too has been, I think, for want of a better expression. Yeah. So people are coming into this new environment where, frankly, they just behave better and are expected to behave better. But they know that in some cases... There's some skeletons in, you know, in, 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 in cupboards which may, may, may yet come out. So I suspect it's a bit of a fear of, of what might be out there, the known yeah. unknowns kind of thing, than perhaps the reality. Yeah, because these things always come out at one point or another. It, it just does. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, it's worth thinking about ahead of time. Uh, do you have any other issues that you think are missing from, from the report that, you know... Yeah, there's a couple of things actually in there which we've not talked on yet, which I think are, are interesting. Um, I, and I've picked out a couple here. I think that the, um, the, the whole point about hybrid working mm-hmm. is, is worth uh, a few minutes of, 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 of conversation. Uh, certainly over my 15 months or whatever it is here at Byfield, um, almost every person I've, I've worked closely with at some point has asked me about um, not just hybrid working policies because they're quite easy to find mm. but how firms are doing in terms of implementing whatever yeah. they've decided partners and senior senior management are really interested in how other firms are getting on because mm-hmm. actually most firms have landed on roughly the same kind of thing two three days a week in yeah. the office a little bit of difference, I don't know, some say you have to be in every Wednesday or whatever it might be, but, you know, from a helicopter view, they're not that different. But the implementation has been very different and take up uh, and people complying and all that sort of thing. And people are people have been really, really interested in what other firms are doing. And I think I don't think many firms are happy necessarily with where they are. Mm-hmm. They either want more people in the office, too many people are coming in, not enough. All, all that, all that kind of thing. I think, I think it's. I think people are, people are struggling. I think firms are struggling to get to a point where they're happy that whatever they've decided is being followed well throughout the firm and are potentially adjusting. I think it's going to be quite interesting, being slightly cynical, that if there is a, you know, a significant downturn and there I say it, there's some redundancies and mm-hmm. firms stop hiring whether people will dash back to the office to be seen 
in the yeah. same way that you used to by your boss. You wanted to be seen to be there early and late. Yeah, and I, I wonder if some of that old school type behaviour will come back. Um, <laughs> what is true is that your heating bill is going to go up, so it might just be cheaper to be in the office, but that's yeah. an aside. The other point I picked out, which I thought was 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 interesting, was around innovation. Uh, you know, firms talk about their desire to innovate for for clients, um, and it was really interesting. Certainly, five or six years ago, with 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 the advent of legal tech, um, and I think for the first time ever, law firms were properly disruptive businesses, mm-hmm. and their ability to innovate in delivery to clients through adoption of technology. Was, was, was absolutely key. So if you'd asked that question five or six years ago, it'd be fairly easy to answer, you know, who's, who's knocking out of the park with legal tech and who isn't and who's playing catch up. Yeah. And I think innovation is, is a bit different now. It's, yeah. a bit of, it's a bit of a muddier thing. And, you know, you can present anything as being innovative, really, if you try. And I wonder, I, I, I wonder in what ways clients are asking firms to, 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 to innovate now. It'll be really, really interesting to see how that develops, I think. I agree. The other day I saw a piece in the FT about that actually, where they were saying some firms were going on the metaverse with their clients to meet them virtually, but you know, with these like little characters and stuff. I've never used it, so I don't know what it looks like, but um, I'm not sure if that's really, like if that brings anything to, to, to the, you know, relationship with the clients so older listeners might remember second life which was a virtual world in about let me get this right 2006 2007 um and i think phil fisher was the first firm to open a a virtual office in second life um and uh that was it was pretty cool i remember reading about it in the the ft and seeing some pictures i'm not sure quite what happened with Second Life or, or what went on there. And I think this is actually the same thing over again. Yeah. So I'm slightly cynical about, I, I share your, your cynicism that I'm quite <laughs> sure where it's all going, but be interesting to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think that's all we've got for today. Uh, thank you for joining us and don't forget to tune in next week um, for another episode of Council Culture. You've been listening to Council Culture the Business of Law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and join us again next week where we'll be discussing some more of the biggest stories in the legal sector.